I'm so glad you came out tonight. You know, I'm valuing everything now. Now that I know I've just got a few months left, I'm like every single moment I get to do something like this is just so special, and I appreciate your coming out. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about my messages whenever I do get a chance to speak. I, I don't want to sound like I keep coming around to the same subjects of suffering and loss. Um, seems like that happens. But I think it's because it's, I'm, I'm surrounded by those things now. And it, you would really laugh if you knew what I was like um, before the Lord got a hold of my life. I was so protected by my parents, I never saw anything bad. I mean, they just protected me from seeing any suffering, any evil. I mean, I was really protected. And so when I ended up um, going to Bible school for my first semester, I'll never forget they were talking about Corey Ten Boom or suffering and going to a prison camps. And so I had really long hair and I would I'd plug my ears and let my hair drape over so they couldn't see. I'd sit at the back of the room and hum so I couldn't hear them. And I didn't want to hear anything about suffering. I was scared to death of. I'd had enough problems in my life. I didn't think God would allow any of that. So I was very um, anti-listening to anything like about suffering. And yet now it's, it's bizarre because in the 11 years I've worked here, I think... I had a couple times, especially toward the beginning, where they, there were positions open that were much more suited to what I you know, studied and all these different things than working in the pavilion. And I applied for them, and this was after maybe a year or two in the pavilion, and then the people, I'd be right there to get that job, and the person in charge would say, Sonny, you know, when you get this job, you're not going to be working with people in the same condition that are in the pavilion. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> I go, nah. <laughs> I want to stay in the pavilion. And so I've been in the pavilion in the Larson because that's, that's my love. I love those people. And I know that's come from the Lord. It has to be from God, <laughs> especially since my makeup is completely opposite of that. But being around the people that are in, in the um, Larson now, um, they have many losses that I think the community fears that aging will bring, you know, loss of um, independence, loss of driver's license, loss of good health, which results in loss of uh, quality of life that we love, loss of mobility, and loss of a spouse, all these things, um, they are having many losses they're contending with. And because of that, they have a lot of questions. Um, and their questions uh, bring up my own wondering too. And so I'm always asking the Lord for something um, to help answer questions that folks have. And I'm referring tonight to people that are believers. And so, um, so when I ever do orientation with new hires, I tell them now, this is what spiritual distress looks like. It's where people are having a crisis with um, a loss of meaning and purpose. And, and I used to think those two things were the same, kind of, but I'm discovering that meaning is meaninglessness is um, much more of an assault on believers than purposelessness. 
And the reason being that um, meaningless means more like, I, I looked this up in the dictionary, it means that you are looking for an explanation or you want something to be defined so that it makes sense if it seems senseless to you. And so this is the greatest question I run into from my fellow believers there in the Larson um, most often I hear is not, why me, Lord? They don't ever say that. They say, why am I still around? You know, I was ready long ago. And, and why does God still have me here? What a waste. You know, the, and this is what, um, I hear this quite often. And so this, the Lord's been working on this question for months with me. And so, little by little, little pieces of, of answer have come to me. And so I want to look tonight at a meaninglessness and this sense of being a waste at this time where um, their lives to them literally are, are a waste of time, a, a drain on our resources and all those things. So I wanted to look at a proverb, a pro yeah, one of the Lord's parables in Luke, and um, Luke 13. And it's a very interesting parable, and it follows, you know, that where Jesus was told people had had a tower fall on him, and people had been killed with their sacrifices by, by the soldiers. And then he, he comes up with a parable. And this parable, he says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the vine dresser, the man who cared for the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? In other words, what a waste. It's, it's just drawing on resources. We could have a healthy tree here that's got good figs on it. This is a waste of, of good ground. and. And so the man answered, the vine dresser said, let it alone this year, sir, till I dig about it and dung it. If it bears fruit, fine. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. So the opinion of the vineyard owner is this. this you know, it's just like the world. This thing isn't producing. And we could do better if we just pulled it out and put something that's healthy in there. And so he's a practical man, he's a businessman. And so he's, he's just looking at the material end of things. And it reminds me so much of the way the world sees people that aren't contributing in the way that the GMP is not being helped by their existence and thinking about money and, and resources and that kind of mentality is the way that our society looks at people. It doesn't surprise me that Christians were the ones that started hospitals and mental institutions because the rest of the people thought, just let them die. I mean, they're doing nothing but just, um, you know, get rid of the surplus population and the heartlessness and there's just no mercy in society when it comes to people that are considered useless. But you know, my friends in the Larson sound just like that sometimes to me. They're not looking at their own lives as having any use. It's a waste. What a waste. It's taken up space. And, um, and so it makes me think, 
well, okay, that's the way the world sees people, but what does God see as valuable? How is his perspective on these folks? You know, how could God find value in a situation, for instance, where one of his own children lies in a bed day and night and is unable to do anything but just lie there and to be taken care of, or one of his precious children who sits staring blankly into space holding a baby doll, doesn't remember their family members, um, and uh, hasn't communicated for years, and years have gone by, and I mean, it's tragic. It's a tragic thing to see. And, what, and I ask myself, what, what is God thinking here? Is it a waste? And, and um, tonight, I'd like to see um, like you to see with me the, um, the meaning that makes sense out of something that appears senseless to us. And uh, so there's a story. I am so fascinated with John 9. I love this chapter. So we're going to look at John 9, which is um, the story of the blind man from birth. And um, if we start with verse 1, Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And you know, I'm not the only one that wonders about the meaning of this. Even the disciples, their teaching from maybe the Old Testament was that sin has its consequences, so they wanted Jesus to answer, what's the meaning behind this? Did somebody sin? Did this cause this? Or, and Jesus takes it as a teaching moment, and he says, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And you think to yourself, the work of God being made manifest by this blind person having to have gone through a whole lifetime of blindness, a beggar, um, what I'm sure the people in that day kind of looked at him and thought, gee, that's a tragic situation right there. And yet he said that. And then he says something even more interesting he says, um, as, long as, it is, as long as it is today, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. And so this almost seems like, how does this go together? But what he's talking about is daytime. He's talking about working conditions here. He's using it as a teaching moment. We know what Jesus is going to do at that time. He's going to heal this person man of blindness. And that is um, one of the ways that he proved he was the son of God. But then he goes into a group thing about we must work the, the works of our, the one who sent me, that's the father. We must work while it's daytime because the night comes when no man can work. So he's talking about conditions being right. You notice in scripture, no one else ever does heal blindness. Jesus is the only one in scripture uh, they didn't go on and touch eyes and bring um, eyesight to the blind at all in any kind of um, in any kind of records. But for us, as a lesson here, I thought, okay, he's talking about two kinds of working conditions. When we do the works of God, we have daytime, and good works are 
are the work, our, that's our day job as his believers. Um, there are works that we do not to be saved, not to be accepted by God. We know that's not the way. But we do good works because we belong to him, because we have the servant of servant living inside of us to do good works. And just to quote some of the best the things that I love about good works, um, we're to do good works that he's prepared or fitted up beforehand, tailor-made for each individual, so we can walk in them, we can be occupied in them. Ephesians 2.10, these are our day jobs. And I think it's so wonderful when we find our niche because good works are what we're made for and he's actually fitted up ahead of time exactly what he wants us to walk in. And if, you know, I've, there's that parable where Jesus said, blessed is the man whom the Lord finds doing these things when he comes. And it's true, we're supposed to be about our Father's business, right? This is what the daytime's about. Daytime's a time, back in these days, nobody worked at night. You couldn't work at night. There were no street lights. There was no electricity. Nighttime's out. It's impossible to work at night back then. He, you know, nowadays it could, but he's talking to these folks. He said, while it's day, we need to be about our Father's business. Hence in Titus 3.8, he writes, I want you to affirm strongly concerning these things so that those believing in God may be careful to be devoted to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to men. And then Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us not become weary in well-doing and doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Good works. So our day job as believers in Christ are doing good works. And we have to do our good works while we can, when we're capable. And it says, it says that we have these good works prepared for us, but one thing you notice about good works, it takes two. It takes two, it takes the giver, and it takes somebody to receive. And so when we give our resources, our time, our strength, our finances, it's a twofold thing. We give, and there's someone who's going to receive. And so we remember that statement in Acts 2035, where he says it's more blessed to give than receive. And it's really true. Um, we really do enjoy giving, and that's our daytime job, and we enjoy it. I was reading something Yancey wrote, and it says, we tend to focus on the objects of ministry, the souls led to Christ, the numbers baptized, the marriages reconciled, the poor fed, the number of elderly visited, yet as I read the New Testament, Jesus seems equally interested in what effects ministry is having on the people that are doing the work of ministry themselves. And I don't know if you saw last week when um, I, they did an interview with me about the ukulele group. <laughs> it was a great interview, and they asked me, one of the questions he asked me is, um, so what do the volunteers get out of this? We, we have a ukulele group that we, um, we go from floor to floor in the uh, Larson and, and sing to them um, and play our ukuleles. We're all new at it, but... Um, 
the thing that, that he asked me was, you know, what, what about those that are, are doing the ukuleles, you know? It's, and they, if you ask them, they are thrilled just by looking at the faces of these people. We are by no means professional, but it, it gives them a sense of joy, it, and they're hooked. There are some of them, they, they, they don't miss a beat. They're there for every single time we do our little, I call them the hymstrels, and we go from floor to floor. But they're hooked they, because they're, they're, they're giving their um, all to give to these folks, and those folks are just loving it. And so it gives us a sense of satisfaction. It gives us a sense of fulfillment because we are made for this. We're made for good works. And um, then the other thing is if that weren't enough, that sense of joy and fulfillment. But he promises a reward. I mean, I remember there say people used to say, "Oh, you shouldn't have a motive of reward. That's that's a wrong thing to do." But I thought, "Gee, I should look this up. You know, am I just thinking about a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow here?" But the Lord uses reward constantly to motivate us. I looked up how many times he, he ex- explains we should do these works because of reward. It's over 20 times I could find in the New Testament alone. But the rewards are because we are giving. And this is something he, he offers crowns, inheritance, thrones, eternal glory, the eternal riches. Romans 2, 6, for instance, says, God will render it to every man according to his works, to those who by perseverance in doing good works, seek, seek, for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. And it says in Revelations 14, 13, blessed are they that die in the Lord, says the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. There's eternal results, rewards for doing good works. And it's not that we're looking for our own glory because we know we know that in us there dwells no good thing except Christ lives in us to do all these good works. We work according to his working in us. And so it's, we get to share in his glory, the Bible says, when we get there. I don't even know what that means or looks like, but it's going to be incredible. And I know it's something that's going to make everything so wonderfully worthwhile that we did. And, but because we were willing to do these good works that he puts in our path, these opportunities to do good to to those that are in the household of God and other people, we will be so glad that we did these things. But like I said, it takes two. You have to have a giver, and you have to have somebody who receives what you give. And so he says, let's go back to this little thing in John 9. He says, we must work the works of God while it is day. But night is coming when no one can work. You know, I used to thought, think that it meant our death, you know, the night coming when no man could work. But death is not usually described by Jesus as like the night. It's usually just like the great moment when we step into heaven and it's never called the night. And so I'm wondering if the night isn't just this season when we can't work because the conditions aren't, aren't available for us to do work anymore. 
And I feel like my people in the Larson have, are living through their night season. We cease having the, uh, the work to do, and we cease having the capability to do it. And so they are living in the night season. And they've lost their treasured mobility, their ability to choose where they want to go and what, you know, what they want to do at the time they want to. And all those things that um, are so difficult have come upon them. And it's, it's especially hard on those that have been very active in the father's business. And, and so they were good daytime workers, strong daytime workers, but now they suffer from a sense of uselessness. And so this is a very hard place for them. The night season, it doesn't come on everyone. We know that it's a very small percentage. But um, the server and the served, I see that in my building. And no one really wants to be on the receiving end of someone serving them. We would far rather be the ones doing the serving. I remember when Jesus took his towel and wrapped himself and he was about to wash Peter's feet, he says, oh no, uh-uh, you're not washing my feet. And G what did Jesus say? An odd thing. He said, unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. Or in the um, Amplified, it says, we have nothing to do with each other. And Peter, real, he, Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm showing you right now, but you will one day. And, and I think we would, we would like the idea of being, working with Jesus and giving, 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 but being on the receiving end, um, this is a tough thing. And so just imagine a world where there would be no needs to meet, you know, where nobody had any uh, suffering going on, there'd be no need for anybody with gifts that were specially given from the Holy Spirit, since we've all been given gifts from him, to serve other people. Um, everybody's needs are met perfectly. Nobody has any needs. It kind of sounds like heaven. It does. And that's what heaven is. There's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. But what, would there be anything lacking on this earth if that were the case? And there would be. It would be the eternal reward and the harvest for God's people that are a direct result from their being givers. And the ministries that we are told are reaping a harvest eternally. They happen uh, during times when things not are happy times, but basically we see these promises happening in persecution, adversity, sacrifice, challenge. That's not heaven. That's here. That's where all those things are. So the receivers, um, would a good, loving God allow people to suffer in their suffering state for the sake of the givers? And this is, this is the thing that I wonder, in the night season, would it be better off, like they say, would they be better off if they, God took them home today, tonight? because they're very disappointed in the morning when I go to see them. They say, oh, I was so hoping I wasn't going to wake up today. <laughs> or they ask me to pray for them not to wake up tomorrow morning. <laughs> but would it be better for them if they did wake up no more here and they were in heaven where they really, really want to go? Well, look at that 
parable of the fruitless fig tree again, and you see, it's, you see where the, the boss wants to cut it out and get rid of it, and the worker, which Jesus identified himself with that, he says, nope. He said, give me one more year. He's already come to the tree three times, three years in a row and no fruit, and the, the worker says, ah, give me one more year. I'm gonna dig and dung or fertilize. We all know one of them makes you sweat a lot, the other one stinks, right? And so he's, he's saying, I, let me have this, this one more year and I'm gonna work on serving this tree and the tree can't do much except receive. And so one is giving, one is receiving. But you notice something in God's economy that is so different, they both need each other, they depend on each other. The worker has something on which to work. And the, the receiver, what does he get out of it? He's another, another miserable year of being fruitless and useless? No. This is what the Lord showed me, and I am so excited about it. I hope I haven't depressed you so far. <laughs> but he makes sure that the sufferer does not miss out on his reward in the situation as well. And I found the scripture. It says, whoever, it's in Matthew 10:42, whoever receives a prophet as a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And whoever receives a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. The giver and the receiver both get the same reward, not more and not less. And you think, well, that's pretty strange. I mean, the person bringing the word of the Lord is, is coming and, and um, serving in ministry, bringing the, God's word to this person, and all they do is receive, and they get the same reward. The word receive, this is amazing, in Greek, the word receive means to take somebody's hand, and then it also means to give access to visit them to give access, to visit, and to take their hand. And this is all he's asking to the receiver to allow that person to come in with ministry and they're both gonna get the same reward. They're both necessary for the opportunity for ministry to happen. They're both necessary. They're both giving a platform for each other to make ministry happen. So, this is, what's the purpose of ministry anyway? Listen to Ephesians 4.15. He says, we are to grow up in all aspects into him. Grow up. Who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, whole body being fitly fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's the purpose of ministry. Growing up into the, the likeness of Christ, building itself up in love. And here we have a situation, could these dear souls be here for our sakes as God's workers of good deeds? Yes, but it's also for their sakes too. They're earning the rewards of those that are coming to minister to them. They are not wasted hours. You know, a lot of them are thinking, well, I'm not doing anything more. I'm not giving. I'm, I'm not out there working. But the Lord is giving them the same 
reward as a person who comes in. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 23, those parts of the body that we think aren't worth very much are the ones which we treat with greater care. Why? They require a lot of care. They have a great deal of need. But their night season is not a waste, not if they belong to Christ. This is the heritage of God's people when they're suffering. Outside of God, I, that's up to him. He, he judges those who are outside of himself. But the, it says here that even our suffering produces a moment, he calls it light affliction, produces for us a far greater weight of eternal glory. And so even while we're suffering and people are ministering to us, he is giving them a reward that will not be wasted, that will be an eternal on the other side of death. So when I go in, I love going to Connected Living. <laughs> and I get to do Vespers with them every Friday. And they can't talk to me afterwards. All they can do is look in, in my eyes. And there's something there. Oh, they want to say something. And I think, oh God, if they weren't here, if I was standing here in an empty room or tonight, <laughs> If I were standing here just, and they weren't here, they would, what, what would this moment be? But it is the most wonderful experience for me. And so I thank them. They can only, some of them can say thank you <laughs> with such earnestness, and they take my hands, and, and it's just, it's such a beautiful moment. And, and um, I thank them for going through the night season, which will soon usher them into heaven. And then all that suffering will vanish, vanish. But they're providing me a platform to be a chaplain. You know, otherwise I wouldn't have any opportunity. I, I tell them, I need you. They, they may think, they may not even be aware that they need, that I need them. But I need them. If they weren't there, I wouldn't have a job. You know? I wouldn't have money to put food on the table. I wouldn't have money to pay bills, and I'd be unemployed. How about that? I do need them. But above all, they have made an opportunity for me to give of the gift that God has put in me. He's chosen to put a gift. He said he, he took captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. It's his delight to put a gift inside of you that's very unique for the good work that he has for you and so that we can work the works of God who is sending us. That's why it's still the day for me. The night will come, I'm sure. And um, I'm just encouraged myself that the night season does have rewards and, and that these people's years, elongated aging of the night season for them, that they are not gonna go without reward for being there for people like me people like you, whatever you do to help those folks in whatever way you do, the people that have needs. But last of all, I would like to look at the fruitless fig tree one last time. It's um, got that barren period of three years, and then the fourth year, the intercessor comes up with one more year of digging and dunging. But you see who has the final word. It's not the owner. It's the servant, and he says, give me one more year, and then you can take it out. And he's in control of the timing, which is just wonderful news. This is not going to go on forever for my friends. But it's, it's um, 
a scripture that I came on in the, the overcomers. I love the chapter two and three of um, Revelations where it's the overcomers. And the Lord says this to the church in Smyrna. I guess they are the church of suffering. And he says, I know, I'm aware of your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Oh, he sees. He sees things we can't see. You're rich. Don't be afraid about, of what you are about to suffer. They've already been suffering, and now there's more to come. Look, he says, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have affliction for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So you hear the reward. You hear that there's a limited time, that he's in control of how much time they're going to suffer. And it's interesting, because um, I had to do paper on um, the, the early church and the persecution and all. They weren't in prison 10 days. They were in there quite a long time for some of them, because they were trying to get them to recant, and they'd leave them in there a lot longer. But just thinking, and the figure 10 is used often for testing, a testing time, which he said is the purpose of this season. But he says, all I'm asking, just be faithful. Just be faithful to me until death, and then I'm going to reward you with a crown of life, the victory, and the, the, the future that will come after the night, after the time of trial. So God's economy is not the world's economy. And he sees their poverty. He sees their suffering. He sees the night seasons of his people. And yet he's in charge and he will reward them. And he is rewarding them eternally, though they may not be aware of it or see it. That's what he promises. And I do believe he's, he's true. And um, the, the day of the day season and the night season are both productive. There are rewards for both. And so, you know, I was thinking about Jesus had his season. He, he, he said the night comes when no man can work, and it happened to him too. He understands what it feels like because if you look at the end of the story of his life, all of a sudden, I think it's past where he heals the ear that Peter cut off of the servant. You don't see Jesus doing good deeds anymore. It stops. And all you see and read is he received, he received, he received, he received, and there's no more of his giving out anymore. He had to go through his suffering season, and he knew it, but he was willing to because he was right in line with what God wanted, and he knew it, and he knew the joy set before him. And so that's as chaplains, we, we try to help people's spirits uh, be lifted up that, that the season is not forever and that God sees their suffering and God knows, but they're going to be rewarded. And so while we have day, you and I are in our daytime, to really, really ask God, let God develop his gifts in you and just give yourself to it. Whatever, whatever, you know, that he puts in your, in your hands to do, do it with all your heart. And he sees it and he loves it. And that daytime um, that we have is, is a wonderful season that we can get satisfaction and joy from serving people. But if the nighttime comes, um, don't, 
you can trust, you can know God is hard at work. He will not waste a thing in his economy. And those days, those hours that go by of digging and dunging in people's lives and being served and receiving, taking a hand and accepting a visitor, those people are going to be rewarded with the prophet's reward, with the chaplain's reward, with the reward that you bring to them. And so I thank God. I'm so encouraged because it's made sense out of something senseless to me to know that these people are not wasting their time. It is not a waste. God won't waste a thing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that when there's givers, there's going to be receivers too. There has to be a platform for ministry to happen. And Lord, we lift those who are in the night, the night season where they may be feeling useless, those who are watching right now from their bed. You see, you love them, you care how they feel. And Lord, you're rewarding them. You are rewarding them because they're reaching out their hand and they're receiving. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we also thank you that the night season is just a a short span of time in the eternity. And, Lord, that these people, we will receive a crown of life. All you ask is that we are faithful. And we ask that you give us grace to be faithful and to follow you all the way until our last breath when we finally get to come home and our good works will follow us, you promised. And we will be so thankful for even the difficulties we faced. In Jesus' name, thank you for this wonderful group that came out tonight and those who are watching. We we just thank you that our hearts are hungry for your word. And it's a blessing, Lord God, to have a to have that in our hearts to want to hear from you. So I send them off with a blessing. I thank you for for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.